This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back, sci-fi fans, to the Science Fictionary Podcast presented by thesciencefictionary.com. I'm Andrew, and I'm here tonight with Marisha. Hey, everybody. And David. Hello. And we are kicking off our brand new series tonight, uh, The Pillars of Fantasy. Um, We had a lot of fun doing The Pillars of Sci-Fi, and we got a lot of great feedback from some of you guys. And so we're really excited about doing this one, although as I've started going down this rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. I'm realizing that at least this portion tonight, we're going to do literature. Just like we you know, started with literature on sci-fi, we're going to start with literature on this because it's it's really kind of the core of everything. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be hard, but we're changing up our format a little bit in that we are going to have a minimum number of items on the list. Last time it was just however many we ended up with, no matter how much overlap we had. But this time we're changing it up a little bit and they, each list will contain... If possible, a TV is uh, still kind of up in the air, but if possible, 20 entries. I think the only one that's going to be hard to get to 20 is going to be TV. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but we got some great stuff and, and kind of, we you know, we wanted to do fantasy. A lot of people kind of lump fantasy and sci-fi together, but there are some, some differences. There are, are, especially in a post-Star Wars world, there is a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah, for um, sure. And that, you know, Star Wars is a is fantasy with science fiction elements. And, and that has been copied ever since. But we're going to get into the, the roots of fantasy, which the more... I, I don't know if y'all would agree with this statement or not, but it seems that the more I read that I realize that fantasy really is the, the root of storytelling, all storytelling. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, you don't see envision people sitting around the the fire telling fantastical tales of that buffalo they killed yesterday. <laughs> I mean, like for real, like right. you know, you envision primitive people sitting around the fire telling fantastical tales of superhuman people and spirits that they don't quite understand and, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. Supernatural and, uh, creatures. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's interesting. And I mean, really fantasy, the what would be considered the modern fantasy genre doesn't come about really until the 19th century. Mm-hmm. But because what we're doing tonight is delving into the things that have shaped soft or have shaped fantasy mm-hmm. writing, the things that shaped the modern genre. Yep. then we're going to have some things on this list that are going to predate modern fantasy. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's going to be true with, um, obviously it won't be true with movies or TV, but it's going to be true here, and it's probably going to be true on our when we get to our miscellaneous list at the end. I did want to throw this out there. I think there's one thing that's going to be on, I can't imagine that it's not on everybody's list. And... Mm-hmm. 
it's it's a piece of fantasy that is literally it dwarfs everything that came before it and it dwarfs everything that's come after it. It is the pinnacle of fantasy storytelling, and that is the Middle Twilight. Earth. <laughs> exactly. That is Tolkien's Middle Earth books, which, you know, so The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion. Those yeah. books, and, and I, I thought we could just open with that by putting that one on the list so that everybody else is freed up to to give their their four without mm. because I can't imagine that anybody made their list without Lord of the Rings on it. Oh uh, no, it, it's yeah. definitely on my. And so I think we should open up with talking about that one because it is the quintessential piece of fantasy storytelling. Yeah, um, it's, I agree. It's the culmination of everything that came before it. it. It is Tolkien proved to be the master world builder that everyone has tried to emulate since. Yeah, you I mean there's no accident that in the same way that every sci-fi series wants to be the next Star Wars, every fantasy writer wants to be the next Tolkien. Every time something comes out that people want to make a point that it's really great, they're like they herald it as the next Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. or call the the author the next Tolkien, mm -hmm. and it's. And the longevity of those books, the the, the sales, um, it changed the way books were really marketed. It, it when they in the '60s, when I can't remember was it Ballantine that put out the first authorized paperback versions of those books, and it I don't even remember how many they sold. It, it just it, it was just an astronomical number of books, and you're talking about. The, the really the first thing that made fantasy a viable seller that that after Lord of the Rings fantasy books began to take up increasingly larger sections in the bookstores mm -hmm. and not just for children but for adults right and, and there was a lot of fantasy written for adults prior to that but it was still mostly considered a children's genre. Mm -hmm. uh, because most people associated it with the early, some of the earliest versions, which were were fairy tales, right? Mm -hmm. And and so it was, it marked a a huge turning point for the genre. Well, because Tolkien was, if you've never read his essay on fairy stories, track it down and read it. It's well worth reading. Um, but he was a firm believer that these stories were made to explore the human condition. They were made to tell, to explore important themes. They weren't made to entertain children. And he really talked down on like the Langs, the uh, red fairy book and purple fairy book. And the, you know, the sort of trend towards telling fairy tales to children. Um, and, you know, especially he was a huge fan of like, you know, the Disney treatment that, that fairy tales got where they were sort of sanitized and, and, made palatable mm -hmm. and acceptable um, for children because he believed that that really went against what they were for. They were for exploring stories about who we are. You know, he believed, um, you know, and like in, in a literal, the snake talking in the garden, he believed that that's because animals talked. And so that's why 
you know, before he believed that before the fall, animals could talk. And so that's why we want to tell stories about talking animals. You know, so he really believed very strongly that you don't need to talk down to your audience because you're telling fantastical stories. Um, and he was one of the, because he believed it so firmly and he, he sold it, man. He managed to sell something that had become firmly entrenched as a children's genre to a whole lot of adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's kind of odd, you know, fantasy predates, we did science fiction previously and it, it fantasy predates science fiction. But in the modern sense, it took fantasy a lot longer to grab to to grab that firm place in being taken as, seriously as being taken seriously as as a genre. I mean, comic books were taken seriously before most fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. yeah. That's 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 a good point. And you know, I think the the one really important thing about the Lord of the Rings series and about the Hobbit is that it is freaking dope. It is good. <laughs> it it is. is the pinnacle of storytelling. And I think that's why, I mean, that, like there's all the different reasons, but like when it comes down to it, the reason that it broke all those barriers, like you're saying, and the reason that it was sold so much and, and, and led to this, what we know as fantasy today is because it was so freaking good. It mm-hmm. is still so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the characters, the the world, uh, it is awe-inspiring to me to think about. It means a lot to me, these characters. Um, the way that he tells stories has taught me a lot about how I'd like to write. I mean, like you were saying, everyone wants to be the next Tolkien. I mean, this is this guy would spend a freaking page and a half describing what a tree looked like. <laughs> right. Um, yep. And, and, and then write a poem about it. And, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, and so um, just the way that he told stories in that way and the way mm-hmm. that he told these fantastic, created this fantastical world and, and made it so in depth, especially with the Cimmerillion, like, oh my God, it is, mes- it still blows my mind to think about like how he came up with all that stuff and, mm-hmm. and, Right, it's so it's it's so good that everybody wants to copy it because they can't think of anything better. You can't think right. of a better world. No offense to writers, I know they have thought of really great worlds, but I'm saying like mm-hmm. you want to copy and write about elves and and dwarfs and everything because that's that's the cool stuff that already exists. You don't get better than that. You don't get mm-hmm. a more in depth, incredible world than than this. You mm-hmm. don't get better character storytelling than this. It is textbook. I mean, yep. people teach college courses just on these books. Yeah, um, it's it's I, the pinnacle of high fantasy, and it's the it's the piece that all other works are compared to. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And you know, the other interesting thing is he used a lot of really familiar tropes. You know dwarves and elves and you know all of these things, but uh, he talks he talked in in um the introduction to one of her uh forward in in one of the later editions how irritated he would get because he would send a draft in 
to his his editor and they would go back and they would have changed all of the elves with a v into elfs with an ep and he was like no the singular of elf is elf the plural is elves you know he was very mm-hmm. um he was such a linguist you know and he was so but this sort of like you know high and otherworldly and noble elf i mean that is so different from the the elves in especially like english folklore you know you have these like they're basically imps you know these little sort of weird you know that they steal babies and they cause problems you know um so he this sort of world that's peopled with these high-minded immortal beings he he really kind of rewrote the way that all of all of those kinds of characters are approached mm-hmm. so yeah definitely uh, lord of the rings is i think it's got to be at the top of the list yeah so all right so no brainer yeah, yeah. all right david so i will start with you what is the first item on your list Okay, so now with the format we're doing, I love it. And I'm sort of thinking of it as like, what is my first offering to the list? Like, mm-hmm. what, what is my sacrifice that I propose uh, go on the on the mighty list? And um, this was a really difficult list to compile. Mm-hmm. Here, here. But the way that we're doing it, and I really like the way that we're doing it, because it's going to kind of allow us to also include a few things that we we just personally really enjoy. Right. Um, and, and think are great. So my first offering, I'm actually going to pick the Witcher series. Mm. So the Witcher uh, was a Polish folklore, but this this author from from Poland, I, I can't I can't believe I, his name is slipping my mind. I apologize, but um, he compiled them and just started writing stories about them. And actually, the majority of the books in the Witcher series are a collection of short stories, as we talked about a lot whenever we were reviewing the witcher tv series that was uh, that was coming out uh last december a lot of the episodes are just like taken straight from those short stories but the short stories did all tie together and make one cohesive long story and uh there were some novels some actual novels that came out later and then that story was continued into the video games um which which continued the story and then it has now spawned this excellent tv show uh that i love very much and you know, those video games are some of the most popular RPG games ever made. Some of the best-selling Xbox games ever. Uh, I know on Xbox particularly, The Witcher 3 is huge. Some of the best-selling PC games ever. So they are really big, and they are start- it is starting to spread into more pop culture. And I do think that The Witcher was sort of an inspiration for a lot of darker fantasies that came after it. Um, I feel like there's a lot of mm-hmm. fantasy books that I've read. That's like, oh, okay, you just copied the char- the character of Geralt. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that, which I'm not complaining, though, because right. I love Geralt. And I, I think that it does that very well. And with the amount of slots, on, and I was debating putting this, but with the amount of slots on the list, I think that it definitely could deserves a spot there. Especially, um, you know, I know in like, for like, if we have any Polish listeners out there, I'm sure this book is, is huge for y'all's culture and everything. I mean, um. I think uh, whenever Barack Obama went and visited Poland, uh, the president, or the, I, I think they have a president in Poland, um, he gave Barack Obama a copy 
of The Witcher Two video game as a gift. Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, I guess you, I guess you guys didn't know that. I think it's I think that's really cool. Like, that's how important it is to their culture. It actually saved like the Polish economy because it sold so much, so many copies that like it like jump started it again and was a really big deal for wow. them. Wow. Uh, from my understanding, well, uh, you know, I can't speak for them, but. It is a big deal there. I mean, just the fact that it was given that a copy of the game was given to the president of the United States uh, shows its influence enough. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and I love that series, so uh, I'm gonna go with the Witcher series. Cool. Well, among among modern fantasy, so much fantasy right now is really just there's not a lot of original fantasy mm-hmm. being written right now. There's a lot of fantasy books, but they're mostly ripped from. They're they're either just emulating, um, you know, they're they're emulating everything that that came before it. Whether mm-hmm. you know a lot of Lord of the Rings emulation, a lot of people are emulating the war, World of Warcraft. Stuff. A lot of people going in for um, myths right now, like yeah. retelling myths. So, yeah. as far as modern fantasy, it seems to certainly be some of the more original. And yeah. like you said, it's it's been you know the just the things that it spawned is, have that have been so um, so big, you know that's definitely I think a a factor in your your pillars conversation is like what sort of things does it has it inspired so yeah and um, also I have read these these short stories in these books and they're freaking dope they're good that's another. Another big thing that I love to look for in this is, is it actually good? Right. And yeah, this stuff is really freaking good. I definitely suggest you read it. Great character writing. The Witcher is such a cool idea of like the monster hunter trope. And it's a great, it, it plays off all those fairy tales in a very dark way and that I really appreciate. So The Witcher is, is one of my, it's one of my favorite series. Awesome. And so I'd love for it to have a slot on the list. Okay. Marisha, what do you have first on yours? All right. So, um, me being me, I'm always most likely to go for my, my earliest selections first. So, if you're pulling out fantasy, you if you're going to go back to the very, very beginning of fantasy storytelling, I mean, Gilgamesh, right? We got to pull out Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it's one of those stories that, you know, these fantastical stories of, and, uh, the interesting, of course, the interesting thing is that there probably, there was a, a Sumerian king named, Gil- named Gilgamesh, um, and, you know, lived like 2700 BC, but the earliest versions of this story that they've actually found from like, okay, y'all. 2000 BC, 2000 years before Christ, they have got uh, cuneiform versions of pieces of this story, you know, telling of, you know, his, his fantastical, you know, fights with mythical beings and, uh, you know, his flood and just all sorts of really, you know, things that have eventually become sort of mainstays in in fantasy. So that's my first selection uh, is the uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. That's a great one. I mean, I, I think you have to put it on on the list. And, you know, it's, of course, it's the, um, 
the oldest known literature. Um, well, what would be considered great work of literature, um, meaning like a story, long, story, long form story. There are religious texts that predate. Really. Yes. Okay. Um, the the pyramid texts are older. Okay. But the but this as one far is as, actually as far like as, a book. As far as stories, right? This is it. This is the oldest surviving piece of literature. Mm-hmm. That's not. That's not religious in nature. I mean, it is kind of religious. Well, it, it is. is but it it's is not considered a. It's it's not considered a religious text. There's no. There's no religion. In the world today, using Gilgamesh as no, a no, not text. in the world today, but it was a religious text when it was written. I mean, most writing that old had some religious context, yeah. but but it's it's an interesting one. It's uh, and of course we we changed our genre up a little bit from um, the last time. Last time around with sci-fi, we really just included novels in this category. Mm-hmm. But I we kind of had a conversation beforehand on this one and decided that epic poems. Or literature. Or belonged if you study them in a literature class in right. school, it and, probably belongs. And so we, here. we retitled this portion, this category from novels to literature. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first entry on the list is kind of like Marisha's. It's not that old, but it's still pretty old, is Beowulf, mm. which mm-hmm. is considered one of the two original. Gilgamesh is very proto-fantasy. It's certainly fantasy, but we don't know enough about about it, really, at all. Uh, as far as why it was written, or who it was written for, or... Yeah. So it, it kind of falls in that area of... So there was a defining characteristic where things that were written that we don't know if they were supposed to be true, mm-hmm. or if it was supposed to be a story then it fantasy works are pieces that were intentionally written to be fantastical. Mm-hmm. So these early ones kind of fall, because we don't really know what the writer's intentions were. So they kind of fall in an area of what I'm calling proto-fantasy, which was not a term mm-hmm. I saw anywhere, but... If the shoe fits... It, it's, it seems like an accurate description. So I kind of did the same thing, and I included Beowulf. Um, it's one of the it's one of the oldest pieces of European uh, writing, surviving writings. It is considered one of the two founding documents of fantasy storytelling, along with the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we see lots of things from from Beowulf that that carry forward. I mean, heck, they're still they still make movies. That are, are loosely based on. They made a Beowulf TV show just a few years ago. Yeah. It wasn't very good, just for the record. <laughs> uh, I, I watched it because it said Beowulf on it, and I was like, ooh, but no. But I mean, even a few years ago, the, the sci fi movie was it The Outlander? Yep. That yep. was basically a, a loose retelling of. Of Beowulf. Well, not to mention uh, 13th Warrior. The 13th Warrior, which was. Based on Eaters of the Dead. Right. Um, which was loosely based on on Beowulf. Beowulf's manuscripts, but yeah, that's uh, that the, we see a lot of things developed, a lot of tropes that come directly out of Beowulf, specifically in regards to the hero that yeah. that carry forward to this day from one of from from a an epic poem that was written sometime between seven hundred and a thousand A.D. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, um, I 100% agree. That one was on my list too. And uh, just an example of how like important the story is, uh, I don't know how many other kids experienced this, probably not many, but uh, my dad being my dad, one of the first things he ever gave gave me was a like copy of Beowulf that was sort of translated and you know dumbed down a little bit mm-hmm. uh, to my age. But he said, "Hey, here, read this." My kids have a coloring book. A I'm coloring also book that of Beowulf? that parent. Yeah, that's yeah, great, perfect. Like this <laughs> is why, but that's great because it is one of the most important works of of literature. And of course, I learned about it in school and stuff like that. But I think it's yeah. so cool that my dad was like. Here, read this, and here, watch this animated movie about it mm-hmm. that has Angelina Jolie and her um, animated uh, nude body <laughs> that uh, he probably shouldn't have let me see. But it was animated, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> Different. It was better. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was okay, right? It was kind of, you know, it was kind of hidden. Yeah. But yeah, Beowulf. And and ever since then, I've been like, this freaking story is awesome. Mm-hmm. That, that, I guess you call him a character of Beowulf is dope. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and you're right, the hero trope, it, it kind of stems from right there, like the yep. epic hero. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's coincidentally, my favorite translation of Beowulf is the one that Tolkien translated. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about that before. That's cool. All right, David, what do you have next on your list? So, my next offering, uh, is the it was hard to pick but you know i had to pick this one up there i think i think everyone can agree uh the harry potter series Mm -hmm. um a bit more modern than things like the epic of gilgamesh and uh beowulf but this book is so freaking huge this series and i don't think it can be overstated the amount of people that i know that carried around these books in their backpacks at my school to read mm-hmm. them on their free time um, over and over again. Yeah. Now, like that was like a couple years ago, like yeah. still reading it. The fans base that this, that this book has is huge. It speaks to so many people. Uh, this series is so important to so many people. Yeah. Probably one of the biggest, most passionate fandoms that exist are fans of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, absolutely. I have only read the first book. Uh, I've seen all the movies, of course, uh, but I've only read the first book. Uh, never read the others, but from a very young age, these books were put on my shelf by my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he put them on my shelf and said, "Read these." Um, he right. used to read the first one to me uh, as a bedtime. Yeah, yeah. Iana is. Um, Ten? So these 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 books are accessible. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, I said I, you sorry, cut out what? there for a second. I thought I thought you stopped talking. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Harry Potter. It was also <laughs> on my list. Yeah. Did y'all hear what I said about the bedtime stories? No. Say it again. Oh, um, my dad used to read the first Harry Potter book as a bedtime story. Like he would read a chapter as a bedtime story. That's awesome. Um, whenever I was little, so like easily accessible. Mm-hmm. By everybody means a lot has been a huge influence on uh children on like ch- you know it's children's fantasy but like this appeals to everybody mm-hmm. my dad's one of the biggest fans of harry potter you're ever gonna meet and he's a 40 year old man 
these these books really speak to everybody. One of the biggest influences on, on fantasy because of all the sort of I don't want to call them copycats because that's a little harsh, but all the authors trying to you know kind of ride that capitalize wave of, on yep yeah ride that capitalize on children based fantasy like this or, or sort of you know the young adult uh, fantasy and um, I think it's a big deal in that way spawned a huge movie franchise that dominated the world for a long time yep. and it's still relevant today and it will still be read by, by many people uh, for generations to come and in a hundred years I think we're still going to be talking about the Harry Potter series and I, I think most importantly it it spawned a generation of children that like to read. Yes, absolutely. Um, because that reading was like, you know, when I was junior high, high school age, even in college, I read far, far more than any of my, you know, any, any you know, anybody that was, yeah. you know, I was around much. You know, reading was be- kind of becoming, not that people weren't reading, but especially among young people was becoming less and less popular. And this really mm-hmm. ignited a fire that has created this big new interest in, in reading. Yeah. And I mean, geez, you walk through like, you know, kids and young adult literature and it's like all of it is fantasy or sci-fi mm-hmm. you know it's all very lots of you know magic and paranormal and you know all that kind of stuff and you know i think that harry potter was really the beginning of that just becoming such a big thing again yeah and you know what else uh how many other fantasy franchises have an entire theme park a section of a theme park uh mm-hmm. based on them yeah not not many. I don't I don't think any. I don't I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'd love a Middle Earth theme yes. park. Oh my god. Like as as, <laughs> as you're saying this, I'm like, there needs to be a Middle Earth theme park. Ever. Yeah. Yes. But you yeah, could go Harry ride Potter. the ride the barrels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, we could ride the barrels. Oh, and then we can eat in like little like hobbit bars and have two breakfasts. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Like, Oh man, we can have we can potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Uh, yeah, perfect, exactly. <laughs> yes, this one that that Sam sings about his knuckle Jim and his shin bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but that that def- that needs to be a thing. So, influential people with ungodly amounts of money, not us. We need a um, get on that. A Lord of the Rings theme park stat. <laughs> so, Marisha, what is what is your next offering? My next offering, oh, man, this is so hard, y'all. This is really hard. Well, uh, David got Harry Potter, so I can. That one has been covered, so I can I can move on to something else. <laughs> I think that I am going to pull out um, Mother Goose Tales by Charles um, Perrault in 1697 because it is like the first really well-known uh widely read collection of fairy tales that really started to kind of this whole this whole interest in not just people in sitting around fires in in their little villages telling these stories to their children, but in actually documenting them and disseminating the stories internationally. That's whenever, and I mean, Mother Goose tales, that's what, that's a line that, that, that still gets 
pulled out that that that's such an iconic um image that has been so in and especially recently so many different variations on fairy tales i mean like the market is just saturated with fairy tale retellings in the past 20 years um it's it's a little staggering to see how much that genre has really um, taken off. I'm not sure exactly really even what sparked that kind of resurgence, but it's definitely been a thing. So um, what year was that? 1697. Okay. That's, that's interesting. That's the same year that uh, Madame D'Alnoy published her book mm-hmm. called fairy tales. Okay. Uh, in France, which she is actually like, you know, she's actually credited with coining the term fairy, fairy tale. tales. Interesting. It seems likely that they probably had some interaction. I did see someone I was reading some kind of references to, you know, the thick, uh, the, the courtly circles. You know, they were basically dredging up these rustic tales of the, you know, kind of highways and the byways and kind of polishing them up and presenting them to courtiers because, you know, there was this weird kind of obsession with, um, like, you know, Marie Antoinette and her ladies dressing up as shepherdesses and like frolicking around Versailles with sheep. Um, you know, so I think this is kind of part of that same sort of trend to, you know, kind of that interest in in the provincial sort of culture, especially in France. So, yeah, that's one of one of our really important fairy tales. Yeah. Not not I'm the sorry, first well- one. What's one that? more time. Say what year was that? One more time. Uh, Sixteen ninety-seven. Interesting, because I, okay, I had not known about that. So I actually had uh, the the Brothers Grimm fairy tale. Yes. Uh, yeah. Published thing on there. That one's personal because I did a play about that one one time, and that one was eighteen twelve. Yeah. So that was the one you're talking about. Two hundred years before that. That's that. Yeah, but the the Grimm brothers changed. Yes. The the they changed everything. That when they published their book, yeah. it changed everything. It's still an incredibly important. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Work. And you know, that's yeah. one of those examples of earliest isn't always most important, right? Because absolutely, the Grimm brothers' fairy tales are they okay? Like all of these other stories, it's like this story was first told, but you know, Cinderella was, you know, first told by Charles Poirot, but. The Grimm brothers are the ones who are always credited. And not only are they, their versions of the story are the ones we still tell. Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite version. Yeah. Yeah. So what, which, which Grimm's fairy tale was your, uh, was your play about? Uh, it was about, um, like it was like, it was like a collection of like 12 of them, but all tied together with one story. Like, Okay. Uh, the Brothers Grimm, the Brothers Grimm Spectacular Thon. Apparently, it's like a really big deal play for like high schoolers. It was pretty cool. It was the idea. Long story short, it was like Rapunzel was the mother of Cinderella's father, and then Cinderella gave birth to two twins named Hansel and Gretel. Like you know, like right, crap yeah. like that like, mm-hmm. to make it one big story. Awesome. Yeah, that's very mm-hmm. fun. Um, yeah, I played Hansel. You played Hansel. Perfect. Yeah. All blonde and like. Yeah. Yeah. It's me, Hansel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's it's become pretty obvious at this point, unless y'all want this to be a two and a half hour long podcast, that we're not going to make it through <laughs> our list tonight. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to give my last one for tonight and then we will come back with this next week. So be sure to tune in next Thursday to catch the last half of the pillars of fantasy in our literature category. So I'm going to go ahead and grab just a real obvious one off the list and I'm going to do the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You got to do Narnia. I, I can't, it's one of those that I can't imagine leaving off the list. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. A contemporary of Tolkien. A good friend of Tolkien, in fact. They, I think they had a lot of influence on each other's. They did. I mean, they were they were uh, members of a, a writing group called the, the Inklings. Inklings. Yep. Who, Along with G.K. Chesterton. Right. So a lot of sitting around the pub and talking about their stories. And How'd you like to have been a fly on the wall for one of those <laughs> meetings, huh? Three of the no. greatest authors of their generation just sitting around chatting about words and if tree was a good enough word for <laughs> something as majestic as a tree. So this is one of those that I would say is a lot like Harry Potter and that it sparked an entire generation of children to read mm -hmm. and, and has done what Harry Potter will probably continue to do and has really sparked multiple generations mm -hmm. of children to pick up books and read about these fantastical tales mm -hmm. that, that just spark the imagination. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't, you know, we talk about the world building of Tolkien, mm -hmm. but Lewis was a fantastic world builder as well. His world is just has a lot less rules. It's it's more of a suspension of reality kind of world. Like, don't right. analyze how Bacchus got there. Just don't. <laughs> He's there. Just take it and go. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not nearly mm -hmm. as complex as the stuff Tolkien created. Tolkien was a different sort of creature in that Tolkien would rather write the histories of his stories than actually finish the stories. Yes, Absolutely. Well, in, in, in Lewis, the, the world was really just a setting for his story. Right. Which, Tolkien... Which Lewis started off to tell a... Not that Tolkien wasn't telling this big grand story, but Lewis had a very specific story in mind, and, and it stretches across that very specific tale. And there's not a lot of excess history or, no. uh, you know, supplemental... No, you Text. only find out as much about Narnia as you need to know for this story. Right. And there there may be more and there may not. There probably isn't. Because he didn't need it. He just kind of yeah. cherry-picked stuff from mythology and was right. like, and we're going to have this, and we're going to have dryads and talking animals. and Right, and it's a little bit different kind of fantasy. I mean, you talk about Lord of the Rings and, you know, high fantasy. And, and even The Hobbit isn't, necessarily high fantasy as much as it's a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Narnia is is a completely different animal altogether in that it it's kind of fits in the lost world genre mm -hmm. in that it it's our world, our our actual world exists. Right. In the story. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's this other magical world that exists alongside ours. Yeah. And yeah. It's just I, I couldn't imagine making this list and not including mm -hmm. what is one of the most read and reread pieces of fantasy literature ever written. Yep, 
And one of my favorites, like, oh, y'all, like, 12-year-old Marisha was absolutely obsessed with Narnia. Um, Pre-Lord of the Rings obsession, 12-year-old Marisha was obsessed with well, Narnia. Well, it's been said about Lord of the Ring, I mean, about the Chronicles of Narnia, that you should read it three, at least three times in your life. Once as a child, once as a young adult, and once, and, and, you know, once as an older adult. Mm-hmm. And that you will take something different away from it every time you read it. That's really cool. I should probably get around to that. Uh, have you never read them? No, I'm just in the movies. Oh, oh, read, oh yeah. Read them. them. It's actually, they're, they're a really, unlike Lord of the Rings, they're a really quick read. Yep. Oh, okay. Cool. It's a, it's a lot, but I mean, it's long when it's all together. But honestly, I think all together they're probably not any longer than like the last Harry Potter book for sure. They're about right. the same size. So I actually have them all in one volume. If you ever want to borrow them, so so reading the whole chronicle awesome. really wouldn't take you any longer than reading any of these really monstrous novels like mm-hmm. the uh, yeah um, Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. Knowing that, I'm a lot more tempted to actually. And it's an and it's an easy read. I mean, it was it was written for children, mm-hmm. it, but it's mm-hmm. it doesn't it, it's readable as an adult because it it doesn't dumb anything down. Oh, yeah. and Lewis has just got the most delightful, tongue in cheek British style of writing. Lewis he's is just he's my favorite author ever. As far as just to read, there's not there are not many authors more fun to read than C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, uh, it's and his it's, anything, his fiction, his fantasy, his retelling of mythology, his dadgum theology is fun to read. Yeah. He's just, he, he has a, a very easy to read style. Mm-hmm. I will definitely check that out. You've convinced me. Yeah. Marnie <laughs> is definitely. So are we, um, are, are are you are you claiming um, the Brothers Grimm is one of your one of your selections, David? Yeah, I was thinking. I'm not sure. I mean, we we got to right. Like we just yeah. I think it needs it. to be in there. So you can either you can either. I mean, you're not. You don't have to give another one tonight. So I mean, if you change your name between now and then, and we right. will have. So my intention with the final, because if we all give four, that gets us to 16. Then we can have a consensus. And then group. we can kind of come back to the list of what everybody had left and everybody can kind of run down their list. Uh-huh. And yeah. we can go, you know, decide which of what which of what's left yeah. really deserves to be on the list. With the last four well, can be democratically on my chosen. List of four, um, Beowulf was, was on there. So I'll okay. take that off because you said Beowulf and I'll, I'll make the Brothers Grimm one of mine. Okay. For okay. sure, I would love to do that because it was all it was on my working list. Okay, uh, it wasn't on my top four though. So yeah, awesome. All right, welcome back, guys. This is going to be a little bit of a bonus episode. Robbie wasn't able to join us the other night, but he had his list prepared, so we've got him here to uh, join the discussion of the pillars of fantasy. Um, I did kind of want to run down the list we had here. Uh, so you kind of have some idea of where we're at so far and kind of the direction everybody's going. Um, we did before, before we started, we took really, I I guess we're calling it the middle earth books. So the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the Silmarillion. And we just kind of unanimously decided to put that one on the list first because it, uh, because surely everybody had that in there. Yeah, I, I had to assume it was there. It's it's definitely on my list, but 
Yeah, the, the assumption was that everyone already had that since, you know, almost, actually, I think everything else on my list has some roots in that. Right. It's, uh, it's, well, everything minus one. Um, <laughs> right. But, well, and we talked about that. You know, it's one of those things that dwarfs everything that came before it in fantasy. And it... And everything that's come after, almost everything that's come after, has some sort of connection. Right. No, it's it's definitely the uh, sort of uh, modern guide outward, um, where right. all of our a lot of our modern stuff got its ideas from. And I mean, it may have pulled from a couple of uh, things previous to it, but well, I mean, it, it surely did, from, you know, because he was such a scholar right. of, of those things. I mean, he was drawing from fairy tales and and lots of other things. But so that was the first one on our list, and from there we kind of have an interesting list because. Marisha and I tend to draw pretty similar things. David, being so much younger than us, tends to draw newer things than we do. Right. Um, but so David's first choice was the Witcher books. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great series, and I haven't gotten too far into it. But I, uh, I worked with a guy who was obsessed with it, and he broke down. Uh, everything from how the books to the comics to the video games and even the show all relate to each other and all the lore and kind of, it really has a lot of depth. So it's definitely a, I think that's a solid pick. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a good one. As far as more modern stuff, it's definitely one that, that probably belongs on the list because it seems to be some of the best sort of original concepts written in the modern fantasy era. Um, and, and one of the things we talked about was kind of, I, I, I went down the rabbit hole of researching just the genre itself and really didn't, it had not occurred to me that the modern genre didn't exist until the 19th century. Okay. Interesting. That everything before that is there are, there are lots of things that are fantasy elements, but of course, the way we're doing our list, we've drawn things from before then because we're trying to find the things that built modern fantasy. Right. So we do have things that are, but I, I couldn't ever find where it was calling it this, but I've been calling it proto-fantasy because with sci-fi, we had things that were proto-sci-fi. Right. Uh, that really existed way before you could really call it sci-fi, but were kind of still the roots of where sci-fi came from. Um, but the next entry on the list was Mauritius with the Epic of Gilgamesh. Nice. That's a great, a great choice. And my next one, my first one on the list was Beowulf. Nice. That, uh, that takes one off my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I figured we were all going to have some, but that's kind of why we've, we've changed up our format a little bit to, I think we've decided with fantasy because everybody's working lists were so long. I think we decided that we wanted to have 20 on the list. Right. And so basically the idea was everybody brings four, everybody gets their, you know, four on for sure. And then we kind of go through the list and try to find whatever we need to round out the, uh, the series. Uh, David's right. next one though was the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Um, I definitely, that's on my list as well. And I have a couple others to fill in cause I assume there'd be some overlap And my big reasoning for that, for, uh, Harry Potter and David may have gotten into some of this is it is a, it, it is a modern bridge to a lot of, uh, n new, uh, fantasy. And right. it, it really bridged a lot of the stuff that happened in the, 
you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s, in the you know end of the 70s, all the way up to today, and and you know in the 90s, this book came out and really bridged that for a modern audience and mm-hmm. set off a whole new uh, genre of young adult uh, you know series that right. have become incredibly popular in their own right. That mm-hmm. you know they may not be directly influenced by Harry Potter, but certainly publishers wouldn't have been looking at those as close without the success right. of Harry well, it, Potter. It certainly caused a massive upheaval in the young adult genre. Right. And, uh, that, and that, to me, that's that's one of the biggest things, is it, it caused a big, you know, uptick in, in you know, people reading books. And right. actually, it was one of the first, like, in my adult life, uh, you know, <laughs> take, the, take that how you will, listeners, um, but, you know, <laughs> 19 20 year old me didn't read much anymore i read a lot as a kid mm-hmm. and then you know teenage years you know stopped reading and you know getting into all kinds of other stuff and uh you know as i got older i was like well, i want to read something but i don't know what to read and i just picked up harry potter and that kind of reignited you know a love for digging deep into uh you know fantasy and fiction for me so it, right uh it definitely has a place for uh, you know a generation of readers well and, uh, exactly because i, I think i feel like it did what other series like or did things like what Tolkien and, and C.S. Lewis did, where they created a whole generation of readers. Right. So yeah, that's a that's definitely that's definitely another one off my list. Um, but I'm glad I'm not the only one, actually. So the next one on the list is Marisha's second entry with mother with the Mother Goose Tales. Oh, nice. Um, they're older than I realized. I didn't realize they were from 1697. Yeah, I never really thought about that, you know, age-wise. But I, I remember reading the uh, modern or modern-ish versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, had that book at uh, one of our grandmother's houses that I would always read when I was there. Yeah, and uh, it was it was it's fun. It's a fun fun thing to read. They're creative and silly and interesting and right. It's a fun fun little read. Right, that one along with uh, Madame D'Aulnoy's. Uh, Fairy tales in 1697, really two of the first collections, real collections of fa- fairy tales. So they were really two of the first efforts to collect these stories, these oral right. tradition stories. Yeah, and that, I mean that, that's super important in its own right. Is you know just the idea of collecting these things that were passed down, you know, probably for a long time before that, and someone finally, you know, made the effort to put them all into one place, and that's right. You know, that, that's the whole gist of all of it, right? I mean, yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's how we I got mean, from where it started to where we are today. So that yeah, that's that's a good choice. Well, right, and, and that was kind of the difference in really. Fantasy and science fiction aren't that far apart. You just have to have that science element to make it science fiction. Other than that, they they really fall very similarly. Where we kind you know fantasy really the things kind of appear to be, even though what we define as magic may be different every fantasy series. It's kind of magical, fantastical. Where right. science fiction, the only real difference is the fantastical suddenly becomes science. Right. And so there is a lot of, of crossover there, but one of the things we realized that even though I had an entry on the sci-fi list from about 170 AD, yeah, that really the root of all human storytelling is fantasy. Right. That, that sitting around the fire and, and telling stories, that's, that's where fantasy originates. And, of course, these fairy tales are a big part of that. But the last entry we had on the list for 
last week was I went ahead and grabbed the, um, I guess what was kind of the low-hanging fruit left on the list, which was the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I actually didn't put that one on my list because I, like, I already had um, a couple that I was like, oh, people are going to have that. And uh, Chronicles of Narnia was definitely one where I was like, oh, well, somebody's going to truly put this down on the list. Right. Uh, but that's that's where we stopped. It took us a good bit of time to get through that amount of the list. Um, yeah. But that's where we got to. And so kind of wanted to get your first two entries into the list. Um, so my so, so first off, I want to I guess I want to talk about um, I, I don't know if it should go on the list. Um, and it went on the other list and that's why. But it often I think science fiction and fantasy cross into one another. And, yep. uh, you know, sometimes you can easily distinguish one story from the other because of the mechanical elements and things like that. And this one obviously falls on that other side, but it's Dune. Dune and, and I say Dune um, as a, and it doesn't have to be part of our list per se, but I just wanted to talk about it because um, Dune influenced both Will of Time, it mm-hmm. influenced uh, Game of Thrones, I believe Star there was Wars. some influence for Star Wars, and a, and a lot of, I mean, that's, that's science fiction, but there's a lot, of, a lot of fantasy crossover that Dune inspired directly, right. and so we really wouldn't have a lot of these things without Dune. So I just, I, maybe since it's already on the other list, I won't, won't push hard for Dune to be on fantasy as well. But I just wanted to give a big, you know, shout out to Dune yeah. for inspiring a big chunk of the genre as we know it today. Yeah, no, and it would be absolutely no issue to put it on this list if you decided that you wanted to do that because it's, it's like Star Wars. You know, when we were doing movies, I wrestled back and forth with, well, it's fantasy, right? But it has so many science fiction elements, and it inspired so much in science fiction. Right, absolutely. It's like you, you, you have it. You have to put it in both, and so really, and, and George Lucas has at times called it science fantasy. Right, and I, I think what it is is that it's it is fantasy. It, but it's science fiction set in a fantasy world. Right, absolutely. And, that, and that's kind of like Dune. It's, it's the, Dune the is, elements of yeah. storytelling that happen in Dune are really what push it into that fantasy realm and also what is what inspired all of these other stories or these, you know, these character archetypes and things like that. And that's what's important. But I have a couple of others, so maybe we can table Dune and see what the listeners think about Dune as a uh, fantasy as well. Okay. Um. So one of my first ones, like the biggest one I thought of immediately, just because it, it's what I do with a lot of my free time, um, is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which was not necessarily the first Dungeons and Dragons book, but it was one of the most important publications in the genre. And Dungeons and Dragons, um, as we know it today, has changed a lot. But throughout the 70s and 80s, it, it truly inspired a lot of these authors to write their stories or gave people a way to learn to tell their stories or practice their stories or practice their writing and, and has spawned a ton of creation and even a ton of different monsters that are, you know, proprietary, uh, yeah. for lack of a better word, to D&D. Um, so I, I want to say Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Like I said, it's not the first book in, in all of the Dungeons and Dragons, but if you look into the history, it is the first one that really combines all of the wargaming, all of the rules, 
all of the things that would help someone without full knowledge of wargaming to get into something like this, get into the role playing, and then sort of where all that stuff's bridged and then where it shoots out into what we know it today, including all the fantasy that was spawned from it. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, and you said it's Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. And I, I would implore anyone to, to dig into the history of that a little bit. Um, if you're interested, it, it's really kind of interesting to see how um, you know these war gamers sort of brought this into, you know, uh, brought it into a, make it more approachable. And then, you know, it, it got more popular, though, when it got combined with the idea of role playing, you know, characters and things like that. And, and I think there's still a, you know, a small divide, not a really serious divide in the community of, you know, is it more fun to war game? Is it more fun to role play? Is it more fun to, you know, build an economy or build a world? But uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was really the book that brought all of that together. Nice. So you got that down for your first entry, and that's a really good one. I, it's, um, yeah, you can't deny the effect that Dungeons and Dragons has had on the genre. Yeah, and this is, uh, and so, so my next one, and th this is tough for me because there's a lot on my list. You know, there were several that have already been named, and I have, you know, obviously the discussion with Dune, which is is, is hard to say uh, for sure. And, but, but you know, Dune spawned Will of Time. It spawned Game of Thrones, and, and both of those, I think, have a huge mark on the genre um, and deserve to be on the list. But I want to I wanna give a, a shout for my second one I, uh, to Discworld. Um, and I guess specifically the best place to start if you're going to read the Discworld series would be, uh, the color of magic. Sorry, slipped my mind there for a second, yeah. but yeah, um, the color of magic. So really, really the best place I think to start, uh, according to most people, I looked this up a long time ago when I wanted to start the series. Um, and, and I was trying to figure out exactly where I should start and looking through all the, like, I mean, there's whole flow charts on the series on where to start and all of this, but uh, the color of magic is is definitely a great place to start, and it, it's really kind of its own own thing. I mean, it, it's it's just fun. It's a fun series, and but I, I mean, I think you know a lot of authors. It, it's not one of those things that I think anyone ever directly and draw draws inspiration from, but I think you'll find that a lot of authors, you know, are familiar with the elements of the series and have taken little bits and pieces yeah. of that. Yeah, this is that's the the whole the the whole thing with the the world on the back of the elephants, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, or it's a I think a tortoise. Okay. Yeah, it seems like there's elephants involved somehow, but I can't, I can't. Yeah, remember. I think so. It's uh, it gets pretty pretty big into a lot of different theory. Yeah, yeah. There are elephants, and then there's a turtle, and I forget how it all goes together. Um. I only ever read the first book in the series, and then I uh, did not buy any more. But they are definitely on my list. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. I'm going to have to do some reading on that one. I'm, I'm actually not all you that. Know, I, I know of it, but I'm not all that familiar with it. It's one that just kept crossing my, my path of, oh, I like this, and I like this, and I like this. And people were like, oh, you should read Discworld. Or, you know, I'd pick something else up, and it would be Terry Pratchett. And I was like, oh, I really like this. And I was like, okay, we'll read Discworld. So, so really, that's um, kind of why that pops into mind. Because it always strikes me as something that, you know, as I mentioned, it's never really like a, a major influence on any one thing but it is a minor influence on a lot of things um, yeah. 
Well, that's insane. It's 41 books. Oh, yeah, and that's why you kind of have to get into the... Uh, uh, some people have made some really great flow charts of where to start, and if you like um, fantasy more, you can go one way. If you like science fiction more, you can go one way. You don't necessarily have to read all the books. You can sort of read out into the uh, storylines you like. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll see if I can find that, and I can pass it along uh, to throw on the Twitter if I can find any of those good... Uh, good flow charts and see if we can figure yeah. out who created those and give them proper credit. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. But yeah, that's, 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 that's my second one. Awesome. Well, uh, look forward to later this week, getting into the rest of the, uh, finishing out our, our list of novels. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that's, uh, so now that rounds out the first half of our pillars of fantasy, you can catch, us next thursday we will have the second half of the novels list and from there of course we'll do like we did with sci-fi we'll move into television uh movies and then at the end we'll have a miscellaneous category to kind of catch those things that just don't quite fit into the other three categories robbie thanks for uh joining us to give us your first two entries and uh we'll see you again next week yep thanks for having me until next time Marisha, where can people find you online? You can find me on princessesandpadawans.com. Um, I occasionally write for the sciencefictionary.com. You can find a couple of articles that I'm actually pretty proud of over there. Um, I am on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans and ppadawans on Twitter. All right, David. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at stay underscore creative dd. And on my YouTube channel, Creative D&D. All right. Awesome. And I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can find all of our podcasts now on our YouTube channel, which I have completely overhauled. And now it's actually kind of pretty to look at. And uh, <laughs> you can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com. You can find us at thesciencefictionary.com. We're beginning to have a little bit more stuff showing up there, as well as some future episodes that are going to have some crossover stuff between the website and the podcast. And we did a little bit of that with uh, the Pillars of Sci-Fi, and we'll do the same thing with the Pillars of Fantasy. And also be sure to check out our podcast, as well as all of our podcast family, at red5network.com. And until next time, Live long and prosper.